the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. You know, I know everyone's really excited about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, and they're tuning into the Kansas City Chiefs to see that. But do you know who the Chiefs' all-time leading scorer is? It's a kicker. He's in the Chiefs Hall of Fame. His name is Nick Lowry. But you don't know the half of what this man has accomplished in his life and is still accomplishing in his life. Prepare to be amazed and inspired by the one and only Nick Lowry. He is next. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. So Nick Lowry played for the Kansas City Chiefs, among other teams. But this guy, where did he learn to kick? He learned to kick in London, where he was spending part of his life because his dad was a CIA chief, a station chief in London. Nick Lowry has one of the most interesting backgrounds of an athlete that I have ever seen. The way he grew up, the way he was educated, the people he surrounded himself with, the things he went on to do, like getting a master's from from Harvard after his NFL career, like becoming the all-time leading scorer in Chiefs history, being in the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame with the most 50 yarders and the most field goals in NFL history when he retired. I mean, he's a remarkable Five-time NFL Man of the Year, which is a tremendous, tremendous honor. This guy has done so much, and he's, as he says to us, he is just getting started. He's got, he's been to the border. He's brought refugees out of Ukraine to Israel. He's advocated for the homeless and for Native American children. I mean, he's a poet. You're going to just love this conversation, and it went so well that this is just part one of two parts with Nick Lowry, the one and only. Well, America is at a tipping point. It's Michelle Tafoya to tell you about a new movie you really have to see. Dinesh D'Souza's movie, Police State, exposes the government's relentless persecution of the conservative MAGA movement. The America we know and love is becoming more and more like a police state every day. The FBI has turned its eyes away from the real dangers in the world to target what they call domestic terrorists with a totalitarian agenda that's treating conservative Americans like criminals. They're targeting their political opponents using mass surveillance and censorship, indoctrinating our kids, and threatening families with military-style raids on our homes. Threatening people like you and me, who speak our minds and stand up for freedom of speech, freedom of religion, our God-given American liberties. Directed by Dinesh D'Souza, Debbie D'Souza, and Bruce Schooley, Police State sounds the alarm. If you demand your freedom, they're coming after you. But how do we get here? And how do we turn the tide of this tyrannical government's agenda? You got to see this movie, Police State. Buy it or stream it now at policestatefilm.net. That's policestatefilm.net.
Nick, welcome. I am so glad to have you on the show. I, in, in the pre-roll here, I, t- I told our audience about all the things you've done, which uh, it, it's it's pretty incredible, quite frankly. So congratulations on that. Um, I just wonder, it, you and I have a lot in common. One of the things, did you know this, that we have in common? We were both USJC's 10 Outstanding Young Americans Award. And no one else can win, can win it because there's no longer a USJC's. Isn't that sad? It's very sad. Elvis won it. Elvis won it and um, JFK won it. And you and our- won it and I won it. So there mm-hmm. we go. Yeah. Uh, but he- here's the interesting thing. You come from, most people know you as the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker, right? And But people who haven't yet been introduced to all your other sides that are so impactful. I'm just wondering, it's difficult, I think, for someone who's been a star athlete like yourself to then sort of transition into this other world of social issues, cultural issues, political issues. And I wonder how you feel in in those shoes versus the ones that you use to kick field goals. Well, first of all, I didn't know I was going to make it. And I'm I also, I'm just grateful to be on your show, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, in case you hadn't figured it out, not all the sports journalists out there are thoughtful, are um, looking deeper at all the big issues out there. And so I'm grateful to be on with you, who are one of those people. Um, I grew up in D.C. with a father who was um, in the first group of Fulbright scholars. My mother was in the first class of full class of women at Oxford. And they met because she was helping run uh, the first Fulbright Scholars Program with a guy um, in London named Alan Pfeiffer. And uh, they were married in London. And I grew up in D.C. My dad was um, an expert on Russia and Eastern Europe. And uh, we went back when I was nine to London. And I only found out when my dad dad died 15 years ago that he was ch- <laughs> he was chief of station for the CIA in London. I knew he was CIA. I didn't know that. But we grew up, listen to this, Michelle, I grew up next door to Justice Byron Wizard White. Oh, my gosh. This could probably summarize uh, the blessings of my life because uh, Justice White led the National Football League in rushing twice in the three years that he played. He had the highest bonus ever from the Rooney family playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then two years later, he just happened to finish number one at Yale Law School the same year that he led the National Football League in rushing for the Detroit Lions. (laughs) And uh, until a few years ago, uh, the foremost humanitarian award from the NFL players was given in his name. Well, he moved in in 1962, the same day we moved in. He was in 6801 Hampshire Road, and they have since moved, and we were in 6803 Hampshire Road. And the second day, I think we might even touch on this individual and his son, The second day, um, I came out in our front yard and there was this man with a big uh, Labrador next to him with incredibly bright red hair with his back to me talking to Justice White in their front yard. And it was Bobby Kennedy who had walked five miles over. He was a big walker, as you might know, um, to greet him. So um, many years later, in 1992, I was awarded that uh, award. And uh, I mean, I can't think of anything more powerful and also to me um, underscores when we are surrounded by great people, there is, I get emotional about this, 
there is such a an incredible language of destiny of of potential that we absorb even if we don't even know what's happening so um i know he made me think about my life in bigger terms and there's a nice article in the new york times about a relationship but uh he actually worked for bobby kennedy and helped command as the head of the u.s marshals um take over the school buses to protect the marchers into Selma, Alabama wow. in, in 1961-62. So that was my next door neighbor. And growing up, I, I actually was a legislative aide, uh, not knowing I was going to make it, getting cut and rejected and cut and rejected by all these different teams. Uh, I worked for Senator Chafee of Rhode Island uh, twice in those off seasons after playing briefly for the Patriots, after going to Dartmouth College, got a great education there. But uh didn't know I was going to make it. So when you ask that question about, you know, how do I talk about those things? Well, it was kind of in my blood uh, growing up with Neil Bush on the basketball team at St. Albans, uh, David Kennedy, who has since died, uh, Bobby's son, um, who was at Potomac with us. Courtney Kennedy was a playmate of my twin sister. Evan By, the the governor and senator from Illinois, is one of my better friends from St. Albans. So you grow up with that message that to whom much is given, and I was given a lot, not financially, but in terms of education and great, great role models like Justice White, you grow up with a sense that you're supposed to do something with it. Well, you've done a lot, and you've you've certainly done a lot. You learned to kick while you were a little boy in London, yeah? I did. I was uh, playing soccer at St. Paul's School in Kensington, 10 hours a day. And that was 10 hours a day, 10 hours a day. I was playing before school morning at recess. My poor mother, you know, they were on a budget and uh, believe it or not, you don't get paid that much um, working for the CIA. And um, (laughs) I wore through, I wore a huge hole through the the sole of my uh, dress shoes after about three weeks because I was always playing soccer, but England won the world cup hosted in, in England and won the world cup beating Germany, Jeff Hurst, three goals. Yeah. And, uh, and then we played rugby uh, a few weeks a year at Ealing common in London. And uh, I was about this much taller than the other players. And it just was so natural to put the ball on the ground and kick it. And, uh, then I did, we went to Germany. My dad was number two in Germany. And that was when Russia invaded Czechoslovakia in 68. So those were tense times. My father disappeared for a couple of weeks. And um, you can imagine what he was uh, having to make sure wasn't going to happen, which was a further um, invasion of Europe. And then we came back to the States in 69. And in eighth grade, I kicked a 32-yard spiraling field goal against Landon, our, our rival for Potomac School. And then uh, the next year started kicking for uh, for St. Albans and kicked a 42-yard field goal against Sidwell, where Obama's kids played and where uh, Chelsea Clinton went to school. So you can imagine being around that environment with ambassador sons, congressmen, um, just it you know, you're like a pinball machine with energy coming against you, I think, in life. And if it's good energy, if it's thoughtful energy, it at least inspires you to think what else on a bigger tableau of life, what is possible? Well, it's it's really interesting. I think it could either leave you entitled or very inspired and ambitious. And clearly it was the latter for you. And yet you continued to pursue this kicking career and went on to have this amazing career in particular with the Kansas city chiefs whom I know you love. What do you think about all this Taylor Swift mania surrounding chiefs, the chiefdom? 
Well, if anybody can handle it, it's Travis Kelsey. I mean, <laughs> there's no was, question. If he was 26 or 27, he's 33. She's 33, 34. This ain't their first rodeo. Yeah. Uh, and um, he's won two Super Bowls. He's hosted Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, he's on almost as many commercials as Taylor, maybe more. Um, his personality, he's going to go into acting. I mean, I can just see it. I was a theater major my first two years at Dartmouth. Uh, he's just got that personality. And he as does. you saw on Sunday, OMG, I mean, he caught 179 yards. Um, what was it? 12 catches or something. Touchdown. Um, he's got great hands, but he does seem to play as well or better when she's in the stadium. But I don't think it's just because of him. He's If you look at his performances in our two Super Bowl wins, he oh. was a huge part of it. So Epic. he is player. He has an ESP relationship with Patrick Mahomes, yep. who, by the way, is the real deal. Patrick. Yeah. Oh, is there's, the there's no question. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. You know, yeah. they, it's, they have a very kind of Brady Gronk sort of thing going on. And yeah. it, I think it's a fair comparison given the, the, yes. the, the greatness, the levels of greatness. Um, they make each other better. It's, 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 it's fun to watch. And I, someone said to me, I think, I think Travis is going to end up being embarrassed by all this attention. I said, you don't know Travis Kelsey. Then. <laughs> He's going to handle this just fine. Uh, so that's all good. Um, your chiefs are in good shape. You're, you went to Harvard. You, you got your master's at Harvard, correct? Yeah. So, um, played 18 years, um, most points in Chiefs history, very proud of that, and a retired the most record kicker ever with the most field goal. Who's counting? The most field goals ever, the most 50-yard field goals ever, the highest PAT percentage and all those things. I'm so and, glad you're saying all of this, though, because people need to know just how damn good you were. Thank you, because for 10 years, uh, even though Sports Illustrated said I was kicker of the decade, good old Paul Zimmerman, um, in the 80s, we weren't a very good team until Marty Schottenheimer and Carl Peterson came along. And right. we did, Derek Thomas comes in. And then, of course, Joe Montana and Marcus Allen. And Marty just instantly turned us into a real team, a tough team. And then we had some terrible coaches like Tony Dungy, Bruce Arians, Bill Cower, ah. et cetera. So um, it was such a blessing. I'm getting a chill talking about it because mm -hmm. in one year, Arrowhead Stadium went from 23,000 season tickets to completely sold out. Right. And um, so it was uh, just a great thing to be part of that team. Um, but then, you know, it was time to move on. I played with the Jets and um, it was not the best experience. It was very humbling, let's say, but uh, I enjoyed playing my first year with Pete Carroll. But when it was time to move on, um, I was invited to read my poetry at Harvard. 
And um, when I was there, I started a program, Michelle, back then called um, Native Vision with Johns Hopkins and with the NFL Players Association. And it was on um, Oprah with Colin Powell as one of the five top programs for, for youth in the country. And um, I just thought maybe I should meet with the head of the Native American program at Harvard. And Robin McClay said, you should apply to the mid-career program, which I did. And uh, I was lucky enough to get in. And that felt like a great exclamation point on my career and moving on and met some amazing people and stayed an extra year and did a fellowship and developed a leadership program for Native youth. And then two years later, I'd already been nominated by Clinton to be a founding director of the American Indian Education Foundation and then became chairman and actually testified before Senator Ben Nighthorse Campbell and then Senator John McCain two years later in 2005 on problems facing Native youth and Native education. So that was great because it took me in a different place and uh, Native Americans um, deserve it. This new movie, um, Killers of the, of the Flower Moon, is yeah. a powerful movie about really how hard it was for Native Americans and how exploited they were. Um, but I hope it also shows the dignity of Native Americans and uh, the potential uh, once this has been um, embraced and confronted. So well, it's been a rich life. And it, it, uh, it, it has been a rich, a rich life. But I want to I want to go back to Harvard for a minute because okay. so many amazing people, including my sister-in-law, have come out of Harvard Law, yeah. Harvard Business, what all of these amazing programs but right now, Harvard's not being shown in their best light as they ha have not really condemned what happened in Israel uh, with the Hamas terrorists. There are groups on campus that are signing these letters, support, basically supporting terror. Let's let's be honest. And right. you've seen you've seen politicians and businessmen say, I, I can no longer associate with Harvard. I think it's fair just as Condoleezza Rice has been pressed about Stanford. I think anyone who's kind of associated with Harvard to be asked, what do you make of that? What, where do you stand on that? Well, um, there has been uh, for more than a generation, probably 30 years at least, uh, you know, uh, what was already known to be uh, a left-leaning culture, right, in um, the Ivy League and mostly and, um, you know, universities in general, and I experienced um, some uh, perception of that. Um, but unfortunately, when you're only getting, whether it's through media itself or in a uh, hermetically sealed college environment, where you're supposed to be expanding your notion of what is out there and to look circumspectly at 360 degrees, including your own biases, mm -hmm. to, to break through um, the prejudice of culture and all those things, and those are valid motives. You would think that um, the conflation of Hamas with innocent Palestinians would not have happened. And that's exactly what's happened is, um, you know, you see these things, and of course they're isolated maybe to some degree, but, you know, when it's queers for um, Palestine, if they only knew what would happen in Gaza uh, with uh, the Muslim um, religion, yeah. Um, for homosexuals, they uh, might think twice about that. But but more importantly, there are many, many innocent people in Gaza. I've seen some videos. I have friends, you know, uh, and it's a very sad thing because 
the Hamas, which is very much it's as bad or worse than ISIS in terms of, you know, the desecration and, and mutilization of mutilation of of the ki- people that they were killing. Um, but they have now, of course, as we know, brought hostages with them. They've done this before, innocence, et cetera. So it's created this um, horrible dilemma uh, when you want to make sure that Hamas doesn't exist anymore because Israel's, if you look at the map, is all by itself. And we were there in March. We brought 100 Ukrainian refugees from Poland uh, with my buddy Jay Feely and um, Sean Alexander, um, great people. We brought great them to people. Israel and got a great tour of the Holy Land. And But also, I remember being there, uh, standing on the border and realizing that in that direction, 40 miles away is Beirut, Lebanon, and 40 miles that way is Damascus. It's, yeah. It is so concentrated that uh, it is truly um, a boiling point uh, like no other place in the world. And we are in a very, very uh, vulnerable and difficult place now in the world. Yeah, we really are. I, I did want to touch on that with you, that your your trip to Poland and, and bringing those uh, refugees to Israel. It's I got to believe that on October 7th, I, I, you did this in March, and yes. then October 7th happens, and you're probably going, oh my gosh, I took people from Poland. We th- thought they were taking them to a safe place, a place that has been experiencing sort of unprecedented peace with its Arab neighbors thanks to the Abraham Accords and some some forthcoming what looked like very promising relationships, right, with Saudi Arabia and Israel. Mm-hmm. And and you're going, what what is happening? I, I got to believe that was a, a bit of a a shock to you. Um, well, not completely, frankly, Michelle, because, you know, we were shown the Iron Dome. We were there and, you know, lo- overlooking Gaza and hearing about all the things right there. And I have to say, there are not great living conditions there. And that is a truth about Gaza. 2.3 million people crammed into an area. And if you can create economic opportunity for people where they feel like they can create their own entrepreneurial endeavors uh, at, on a on a significant scale, um, those are the ways that you build bridges of peace, um, frankly. And uh, there really isn't much, but you, you see it right there and you know that you are living in dangerous times. But um, anybody that, that followed what happened on October 7th, I mean, when you're beheading babies, when you are, there is just no level of civilization we can ascribe to, oh, to Hamas. There is simply the desire. I mean, and frankly, it, it probably indicates, I would like to think in humanity that um, you have to be trained to be that inhumane. Yeah. And uh, that to me also un- underscores that Iran has had to be you know, training, helping train these people to be indiscriminate uh, and to take no hesitation in doing the worst things to human beings. Well, it's it's so tragic on so many levels. And my understanding and listening to Condoleezza Rice, who obviously was secretary of state and, and did was part of a number of visits between Palestine and Israel and these the search for peace there. Uh, Hamas was, quote unquote, elected to to govern Palestine. They're being governed by a terrorist group that is being funded by Iran who wants to wipe Jerusalem and basically uh, and Israel and every Jew off the face of the planet. And I think they'd go for Christians next, quite honestly. 
Um, it, Absolutely. It, it, you know, and to, 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 to then say that, you know, Hamas is ruling these people. Aren't the people then in Gaza that you describe in these horrible living conditions, aren't they under the, the jackboot of Hamas? Yes, they are. And of course, the great proportion of the money that does go there for aid is going to to fund a, a military regime. Yes. Um, and if you look at what happened in Lebanon, the Paris of the Middle East, um, when Muslim refugees came in, the whole culture changed from a Christian uh, certainly a very comfortable Christian culture, multiculture to what it is today, which is uh, anything but Christian. And uh, that with Hezbollah, I'm afraid, is going to be the next flashpoint yeah. any day now, any hour now. Um, so but when you see that, you realize the inevitability of that and how we have to stand firm for Israel, for our brothers and sisters who have a sense of civilization who do not revel in the desecration and the killing of others. Um, and most importantly, who see a world where we can live together. Now we have to take steps that way. I'm, I'm you know, ambivalent about further carpet bombing of, of, um, of Gaza. Um, but at the same time, it's we're, we live in an era now where we can't really know all the truth. Um, disinformation was my father's, a job to be able to, to discriminate between Russian and uh, discrimin uh, disinformation and, and accurate information. You have Al Jazeera, which I don't think is, is actually the worst uh, media outlet ever, but certainly has one side that it portrays. And they're saying we've done our research and the bomb that hit the, the uh, hospital in Gaza was uh, an Israeli uh, bomb. And at the same time, we have the prime minister of England saying with our resources, obviously the U.S. has said the same thing, that this was an errant missile uh, from Gaza itself, from um, Islamic Jihad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's, we're in a really bizarre time when we, we can't, we don't know whom to trust, but uh, it seems to me that the international consensus seems to be and 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 i agree with you that i you know but i i've got to look at al jazeera with a little bit of um as, as you should look at any media outlet quite frankly these days with a of you course. know with a little bit of you know trust but verify kind of thing but it's hard to know whom to trust when our yes. own government has been guilty of of misinformation yes. as well yeah. um it's it's interesting and it was astonishing to me that someone said to me after October 7th, because of the way that Hamas got in to Israel through all these very sort of clandestine methods. And, and Israel's one of the most secure places on the planet. And you think, how could this happen? And someone said to me, oh my gosh, do you think that could happen in America? Yes. And I was flabbergasted and I said, it already has. Yes. I mean, it was 9-11. It was the World Trade Center bombing before that. and yep. And now we've got this this porous, to say the least, border. My understanding is you visited the southern border. We have a lot more to discuss with Nick Lowry, so stay tuned. Tomorrow, we will drop part two of this interview with a remarkable, not only a remarkable NFL alum, but a remarkable American.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.